0: Hello and welcome back to SpinalCast. I'm your host David Stevens and joining us today is someone many of you are familiar with. Uh, It takes no introduction however he is the executive director for the Morton Cure Paralysis Fund. uh, SpinalCast's own Peter Morton. Peter thanks so much for joining us.
1: Hey David thanks for having me. Uh, It's kind of funny to be on the podcast as a guest instead of uh, from a a different point of view. So, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, totally. I I was actually going to mention the same thing. You know, it's it, we've had you on before as a uh, as a co-host, um, but today you're a guest, and we're going to kind of focus around you, uh, your story, um, and really where where you've taken MCPF and and things like that. So, um, without further ado, um, I'm sure a lot of our audience may have heard your injury story before in some of our other publications, um, but for those of uh, our, our our audience that haven't heard it uh would you be willing to kind of do a a quick review of of your injury story kind of what happened and how it all went down
1: sure happy to so um this this was august of 1995 yeah my brother and i were trying to figure out uh, what we wanted to do that day we came up with the idea of going for a mountain bike ride mm. uh, so we went out on the trail we probably weren't much more than Maybe a mile in, I'm not really sure, but um, it looks like my front uh, tire must have slid out based on the, the tracks that we saw in the mud. And I went over the handlebars and hit the ground and broke my neck. I uh, I knew right away what I had done and I couldn't move nor breathe. Um, wow. my, brother, my brother came rushing back and I belled to him that I couldn't breathe. Uh, and I was face down, so he he couldn't figure out, you know, he knew he wasn't supposed to turn me with a spinal cord injury. Uh but he couldn't do anything like mouth-to-mouth yeah. either because I was face down. So uh, pretty soon he said, he told me that I turned first a little blue, and then when he saw me turn gray, he knew that it was an hour never. So wow. being, being the good engineer that... He was. He came up with the idea of sliding a hand under my chest, putting the other hand on my back, and, uh, squeezing like an accordion. So we pushed the air out, um, and then released some air came back in, Mm -hmm. and that actually brought me back. I had, I had passed out by that time, and, uh, that, uh, brought me back. The lights came back on, and then, the for about the next maybe 45 minutes, he was breathing for me that way as we sent someone down to the trailhead to uh, get
0: some help. Wow. Uh, Talk about exhausting. I can't yeah. even imagine. I I mean, that's an incredible amount of work that he had to put in to to just keep you alive.
1: It, re- it really was. And, and I could see it because to make him... For him to be the most efficient, that he could be put his face about six inches from my face. Wow. So I I could see the sweat pouring off off of him. There was one point where he was so exhausted, there was another biker that came along the road. And he asked him to take over for a while. But uh, he wasn't as good at it. And so very quickly, I was short of breath again and I asked for Patrick, uh my brother, to to, to, um, to take over again and he felt a lot better. Um, eventually we had some police got there right by the uh we were right by the Minnesota River. And so some police got there with uh oxygen bottles. I went through all those. Uh but eventually I heard a helicopter landing I would guess maybe uh Hundred yards away or so and uh they backboarded me and took me to the helicopter and i don't remember uh, a whole lot after that until i see you
0: it sounds like a uh a pretty terrifying experience for you know a pair of brothers who were just gonna go out on a f- nice bike ride um but it's also an incredible story of endurance and and commitment um by your your brother and in, in keeping you alive and so during the story you mentioned you kind of knew immediately after flying over the handlebars you knew that you had broken your back um and in some of our previous episodes we've interviewed other people with injuries who um they knew something really bad had happened but they couldn't pinpoint it did you have some sort of previous knowledge of spinal cord injuries before it happened um or how how were you able to kind of be like i i know it's my 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 back or my spine that's injured.
1: Yeah, strange. That's a good question. Strangely, um, Christopher Reeve had been injured that summer in May, mm. um, and I, and I remember thinking about his situation and what all that would entail, and I thought, uh, oh my God, how awful that would be. And then uh, three months later, suddenly, I'm in the same position as he is. Or he was at the time. Um, I actually thought to myself, uh, I can remember one time I was coming out of the, the gym and I had a bottle of Gatorade in my hand and I saw a, uh, you know, those, uh, what do they call those? The gossip magazines by the checkout. Oh, okay. And I saw a picture of Christopher Reeve there with all sorts of tubes coming out of his, because Ralph is such in the headline. On um, the magazine said, I want to die. Wow. And um, I looked at that and I was sort of like, uh, yeah, I get it. I wouldn't want to live either. And then all of a sudden, boom, there I am. Yeah. In that situation. So I think it was Christopher Reeves' injury that really uh, made me realize right away what it
0: was. Well, that kind of, you know, talking about seeing that picture of him in that headline, um, and even mentioning to yourself, you know, yeah, I wouldn't want to live that way either. That kind of ties into the whole mental side of, of post-injury. So once you were injured and in a hospital, um, you know, and starting your recovery, I, I can't imagine that was a particularly easy um, time for you. And um, I guess, is there anything you could say about how you turned that corner and, and you know how how dark did it get
1: uh it got pretty dark um in the sense that well there's a couple aspects first of all there's the the physical one um, when you're your first hurt like that your body doesn't really know how to exist in that in that state so you have all sorts of trouble um, i had lung infections pretty bad i uh, for the first week, I couldn't talk or mm. uh, move at all other than Blake. Um So my, my body, uh, I was actually nauseated a lot because um, I had worked out so much before that and that apparently my bones were quite dense. And as soon as you just uh, cold turkey stop using your bones, all the calcium from my bones was leaking into my blood. And essentially poisoning me from the inside. Wow. So I was nauseated all the time. Um, I couldn't sit up for more than a few seconds before I had to sit back. So there was the physical battle that was just, you know, day-to-day of trying to survive. Mm -hmm. Um, But then there's the mental side, too. And the hardest part of that was, uh, from what I could see at that moment, everything had been taken away that I love to do. Um, right. So it was really difficult to to imagine how could I ever be happy again. Literally, there's there's nothing that I used to enjoy that I could do anymore. Um, so, the, so the hardest, uh, to use your word, the darkest part was trying to figure out what that future would look like and how could I ever be happy in that state. Totally. Um, But what, there there was a gentleman who came to see me in the ICU, and he was a cop who was shot in the line of duty and paralyzed. Um, And he talked to me and said that, you know, it doesn't seem like it now, but there's a future there where you can be, be happy, so hang in there. Um, each day I'll get a little bit a little bit better. Mm-hmm. You now, uh that that took a long time. But eventually it turned out that he was right. Um, and so, um uh, basically to get through that it was just a matter of battling every day to you know, just keep going one more day. One more day and eventually slowly, but surely things began to turn around.
0: Well, I, I mean, I, I personally have been around MCPF um, for my entire life. Um, and I know, you know, I've gotten to know your family, um, your extended family, your parents, your, your wife, your kids, um, many of your former co-workers before the injury. Um, and I think everyone was in support of you and, you know, obviously wanted you to keep keep fighting and live on and you know find a a positives out of it but i really think what it boils down to is this internal battle that you had to have with yourself um and you know is this really fulfilling to me you know it's maybe it's fulfilling to other people for me to be laying here but for me it's just not doing it um and so i think that's that's that triggering point is whenever you can flip the switch inside yourself versus having all the support around you who's who are being positive and wishful um for you to do that to yourself i think is is really difficult and so um outside of that discussion with the police officer was there any other specific moment you remember where you were like i'm flipping the switch now like i'm done pouting
1: (laughs) well you know you hit it on the head because, um, there, there are, I just had amazing friends and family and still do. Uh, my friends and my family were so supportive of me since the very beginning. They never, they never had a doubt about, uh, you know, that I still had some things to, to live for and to bring to, um, society to bring to others Yeah. in society. And so, uh, that's really what made the difference um, over time. Is just that that unwavering support of friends and family. It's kind of funny, David. That I think as we're going through life and things are things are good and everything, um, we almost don't even think about. At least uh, when you're younger, um, you don't think about the value of friends and family. It's something that just, that's always there, and you kind of take it for granted. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, boom, in a situation like that, um, you really find out who your friends are, you you really find out how supportive and caring they all are, and family as well, and they, they were, and still are, the difference um, in terms of having having a positive outlook on life and have it be be happy yeah on a day-to-day basis
0: well and just clarification for myself i don't ever actually think i've been able to ask you this question but um you know when you were facing those dark times and and kind of getting yourself through it there i mean you had the option to say like that's it right um or were they were you not in a position that you could call it quits were you kind of you know in a place where they were like, "No, we're we're keeping you like this until mm-hmm. until you change," or were you able to kind of call the shots?
1: You know, that's a that's a great question, and there's a it's even amazing to me. There's an amazing story I'll tell you about that. So I, I was sitting in a cafeteria in college with my best friend there, and he told me about a movie that he just saw with Richard Dreyfus where um, he was paralyzed and they kept him in a hospital and he he wanted to die but the hospital wouldn't let him now, I've never seen this mm. movie still to this day but um, you know so my friend and I began to, to talk about spinal cord injury how, how dreadful his situation must have been and um we agreed, believe it or not, I said to him, I said, I could I could probably handle being a paraplegic, but I could never handle being a quadriplegic. Yeah. And he said the same thing, and we basically made a pact that day that um, if that ever happened to either of us, we'd call the other one, and the other one would be willing to come in and take us out. I kid you not. We had that conversation.
0: Unbelievable.
1: And so, uh, so after I got hurt, um, my friend was quite, quite, uh, rightly terrified that I was gonna call him and ask him that. Yeah. But what I asked him to do was, could you go to a lawyer and find out what rights do I have here? Yeah. Can I control my own destiny? Or can I not? Um, and his message to me was that I could, because I could essentially re- refuse medical care. Okay. And David, that day was, when I got that answer, that was the most, one of the most freeing days in the whole journey from um, the fact that I had a choice. Yeah. The fa- The fact that I could... When I got up every day after that, I knew I was getting up because I wanted to and not because I had to. Right. And so so that, you know, in a in a situation where you lose a lot of independence, that was the ultimate independence that I had. And really from that day forward, I was able to, you know, it was, it was still hard a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But I knew that I was making the ultimate decision to keep going.
0: Well, and that was very freeing to me. I, I love that kind of uh, like re-understanding of, of life itself. Um, you know, I think all of us take every day for granted. You know, the sun comes up, I get up and I'm going to do what I do and kind of move on. But in an in injury like this, all control is taken away. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you can't do anything yourself ever again. Mm -hmm. And it's, I'm sure, just kind of just an elacious feeling when when you get told, like, yeah, I mean, this is your, you control that. Um, So I I, I like that. I like that story. That was really interesting. Let's kind of, you know, shift gears, get a little Mm -hmm. bit more away from the the doom and gloom uh, of it all. And uh, I want to talk about your your wonderful wife, Krista, who I've had a great, you know, uh, relationship with over the years. Um, actually, for the viewers at home, as an infant, I actually attended Peter's wedding uh, when he when he married Krista. So uh, the way I understand it, you guys were dating before the injury um, and stayed together after the injury. How did the, the injury kind of affect the relationship? And and you know. Was there points in time in which you thought she would be leaving? Um, You know, how did that dynamic kind of work and and develop over time?
1: Sure. So we had been dating about five years at that time, um, which was really, I mean, that that was a time in my life where uh, I felt like the the luckiest person around. I felt like, you know, I love my job. They paid me well. I had a great looking girlfriend. and. Uh, could do pretty much all the, play all the sports that I wanted and so forth. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything everything was just going great. And then all of a sudden, bang, that happens. And uh, I, re- I remember I talked to her in the uh, intensive care unit, and uh, I said, you know, Krista, um, if you want to leave, that's okay. Nobody nobody um, comes into a relationship expecting to. To have to deal with this, um, but I said, "If you want to stay, then we basically start over today, and mm. uh, we take it one day at a time." I don't, I don't know if I could handle this, so I don't expect that you would either. Right. Um, and she never wavered. She, she was a hundred percent committed that um, she wanted to be in the relationship, regardless of the physical situation that I was in, um, and since that day, she has just been unbelievable in terms of her commitment and her support of me uh, along the way. She's one of the most uh, amazing people I know. Now, um, one of the things we discovered, of course, is how strong our relationship was. Um, We got married five years after the accident if your relationship can survive that you could survive anything yeah uh now i wouldn't recommend people do that to find out whether their relationship is strong or not but it, it certainly did that with us
0: that's such a a great story and i'm you know i've i've had the opportunity of knowing both of you for so long and uh you know, it's seen I think by everybody who surrounds you too, um, just the the passion that you have for one another and the the commitment, and uh, you know through thick and thin. And so that's really you know a positive positive experience. So post post marriage, um, and I you know I'm assuming some of our audience may know that you have two children, um, but for those of you who don't, Peter does have two children, uh, a son and a daughter, and those children were born post-injury and i think um for me at least i have no understanding of how that is Mm -hmm. possible (laughs) and uh i you know i don't want to get too uh private but i I would be very interested to hear a little bit more about what process you had to go through to have children um Mm -hmm. post-injury
1: sure um it's called in vitro fertilization where essentially they combine the the sperm and the egg in a petri dish. Mm -hmm. And and then uh, once it's beginning to germinate, then they implant the embryo in the mother. Um, And most of the time, that actually works. Sometimes it it doesn't. But we we were very fortunate that uh, we had a lovely daughter and son uh, via that method. To be honest, we went to the doctor the first time to... To ask well, you know what? Whether that was possible or not, and I was just sort of right. assuming that it wasn't. Um, so when we began to talk to him. He said, "Yeah, I've had. Uh, I think he said he had eight clients in that situation, and six of them had gotten pregnant. So, well, wow, I guess it is possible. And uh, that that's been a tremendous, tremendous part of my life since then."
0: yeah I can only imagine I think at least for me i, I had definitely heard of in vitro um before. I guess uh, my my personal question is how would you how do you um harvest the sperm? how is that even
1: happen? Yeah. you know that that's a great question um, they actually have a method where they stimulate the, the prostate, which causes Spontaneous ejaculation. So that's that's how they do that. It's uh, kind of crazy, crazy, but it works.
0: And even without feeling, even without feeling, it works.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, they might as well been working on someone else because I can't feel anything below my neck. Right. So when they were doing that, I mean, I had no involvement in that whatsoever.
0: That's interesting to me that the the body has those natural Uh, natural things that will take place even without feeling being associated with it.
1: Yeah, it's it's really quite amazing. Um, I was fully awake the whole time. They didn't put me out or anything, but as I said, they might as well have been working on someone else (laughs) because I had no sensation from that. Interesting.
0: Well, kind of getting back to the kids then, um, how old are they and kind of, you know where where are they at now, and as far as the relationship that they've had with you, um did you experience any sort of um difficulties that they might have had you know growing up with a father who was paralyzed? Did they have any out you know outshone difficulties with that
1: um Well, I have a nineteen year old daughter named Bailey and a seventeen year old son named cooper um, the, the growing up i think from what I could tell, they're just used. They're just used to the situation. It's since I had kids after my injury, the, That's all they've ever known. Um, to give you an example, I remember a story that Bailey told me. Once from middle school, she was making plans with a friend, and, uh, and the friend said, "Well, I could have my dad drive us over to wherever they were go- going." And... Um, Bailey told me that she said, "Oh yeah, I, f- I forgot that fathers could drive." <laughs> so so uh, I think I think it's just been so normal. Uh, yeah, because that's all they've ever known. Um, when they were really little, they used to sit on my armrest and we'd use the computer together. Um, they've helped me along the way as I've uh, gotten older. They've helped me out with things that I need. So. um that's all they've ever known. I don't think that they really see much much difference.
0: Yeah. I, as far as your perspective then, how, how difficult has it been for you? How often do you think back, like, if I wasn't injured, this could have been a really different relationship? Or um, do you ever think about that?
1: You know, honestly, David, I really don't. Um, I don't, um, from very early
0: on in my injury,
1: I knew that part of dealing with it was to not think about what could have been. Mm. Um, that, that's just uh, something I put put out of my mind ever since the very beginning. And uh, so I, I honestly have never really thought, thought about, you know, I could uh, do this or that. Um, there's very specific situations that may have come up where, for example my daughter would be playing the piano and i'd just off the cuff say to her oh it'd be fun if i could play the guitar like i used to with you yeah but it's not something i ever dwelled on and for the most part i really don't spend any of my time thinking about uh, what the other life might have been like
0: well that's good i think that's healthy <laughs> I, I i know for me that's probably where i would I would struggle i I feel like I would constantly be in that method of mm-hmm. of what coulda what coulda what coulda so um that that was ju- I was just interested in, in in whether you had thought about that or not
1: Yeah it's never really been um, so certainly that's been something that has helped me over the years where I don't think about that, but honestly it's never it's never really been that difficult for. For whatever reason, I just don't go there,
0: and I think that's perfectly fine. Actually, probably better, mm. <laughs> right? Uh, for everybody, I think
1: so too. I, I feel actually very really lucky that that I don't have a
0: tendency to do that. Well, good. Well, let's let's go ahead and change gears now. Uh, we've kind of, you know, we've covered your injury and kind of personal life up to this point, and one of the things that is included in this whole journey uh has been the Morton Cure Paralysis Fund or MCPF uh as an acronym for for Morton Cure Paralysis Fund. Can you uh for anybody who doesn't know what the organization is about or, you know, things like that, would you be willing to give kind of just a brief description of MCPF and what it is that we do?
1: Sure. So after my injury in nineteen ninety five, the following summer, some high school buddies of mine, um, and in fact, uh, one of them, being the, the dad of a good friend of mine, got together and created a golf tournament in my small high school hometown of Wisconsin um, to raise money for me. And I said, uh, I don't I don't really need that, so um, I'd prefer if the money go to research. Mm. And so that started the the Morton Paralysis Fund. Um, they had another one the next year in that. Same small hometown of mine, uh, but then the third year we moved it up to Minneapolis. I was starting to get stronger um, and a little more resilient by that time. And I knew that's where my connections in the business community uh, could make a difference in our ability to to raise funds. And um, many of my friends, including your dad, uh, mm-hmm. David, joined, joined at that time. Uh, to really make a difference and grow the the organization. Um, so that was now. Uh, I think we're just past twenty eight, twenty eight years ago, I believe. On that. Yeah. Um. And so it's been. I think over that time we've raised about six and a half million dollars. Wow. We've mostly been an all volunteer organization, and uh, we've our venture capital strategy, we've turned that into another $20 million for uh, spinal cord injury research all around the world. Yeah. So for, uh, for a small uh, organization, we've had a really large impact on research.
0: Totally. Well, and to the people who aren't you know, fully understanding of the whole venture capital strategy, your goal is really to kind of find initial research that's that's really groundbreaking, but doesn't have enough data to go and fetch big grants from government and other you know societies that have large sums of money. Mm-hmm. And so your goal is to kind of help fund them at this base level, so that they can get enough data and research and information, so that they can go fetch those those bigger dollars. Mm-hmm. And so when you say turning six and a half million into um, you know, that much larger sum, that's really kind of the target of that. Right.
1: Uh, that's exactly right. Myself and most of my friends, including your dad, uh, cut our teeth at the financial industry. Mm-hmm. And so the, the concept behind see, things like venture capital funding and so forth was second nature to most of us. And, uh, I think that's helped helped us a lot. You know, you, you've described that very well. Uh, David, and, and that's been something that's worked very well for us over the, over the years. It allowed us to have a, a much bigger impact than we might have otherwise.
0: Awesome. So what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've faced over the years then? Um, being that MCPF has been around for 28 years, lots of ebbs and flows, I'm sure. Um, but is there any main challenges that you, you, that you can think of that, that have been really difficult to kind of overcome?
1: a uh, couple things on that um, one of those is we just just like every other kind of business nonprofits have to react to and adapt to their environment um, as we approached our 25th um anniversary golf golf tournament in um 2021 and we decided to to sunset that tournament and mm. That was hard because it was such a part of who we were, but what we were doing was adapting to the changing environment uh, that we found ourselves in, which was um, most of the, of the money we would make in that tournament that we could apply to research was made through uh, corporations. Mm. And over probably the last five to to ten years, corporations have been... Tightening up their policies, pulling back the amount of their their giving and directing their giving only to certain causes, usually causes which are very local and immediate in nature. So things like the food shelves and those sorts of, Mm -hmm. uh, we could have an impact today Right. um, Mm -hmm. kind kind of missions. And so as we saw that happening, um, it takes a tremendous amount of, of organizational researches, excuse me, resources, for me, to, to put on those kind of events. Right. And we, we decided that, uh, that was no longer the best way for us or the best method for us to raise money and expend the, the resources that we had to do that. Right. So that was difficult. Um. I would also say one of the – use the word challenges, I'll change it to to goals. One of the goals that all nonprofits should have Mm -hmm. is how they maximize donor dollars. Right, Um, And that's something I've always been proud of because we we work really hard on that. Um, First of all, we do that by not spending any money unless – uh, we could see a direct connection to to the mission. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second step of that is to have all of the project requests, the funding requests for research uh, that we receive from, from scientists be reviewed by, by their peers, mm-hmm. by experts in the field to make sure you know if we have 10 um, for example, if we have 10 projects, that are requesting funding um we won't be able to support them all so where where will our funding have the biggest bang for the buck right so our our peer reviewers or experts in the field give us uh, grades on all those projects and we only fund those that have the greatest potential the last of maximizing donor dollars is uh the venture capital strategy that we spoke of mm-hmm. earlier, where we can multiply the, the donor dollars impact on our research. And so that's something I'm really proud of that, that we've done really well. And we continue to, to focus on that all the time.
0: Awesome. Well, kind of one final question here for you, because we are mm-hmm. kind of getting past our time. But when you look at spinal cord injury research as a whole, what challenges do you see? facing you know the entirety of the the industry and what are you most excited for um
1: what i'm most excited for is this is a pivotal time in spinal cord injury when i was hurt essentially you could refer to that as the the dark ages of research um Mm -hmm. there had never been any hope for a cure for spinal cord injury um and so back at that time Very few people were, very few scientists were involved in it. Those that were were referred to as sort of the Don Quixotes of uh, the scientific world. You're you're tilting uh, windmills and this is something that'll never happen. Um, Now, you know, a quarter of a century later, it's not a day different. Mm. Um, Pretty much all the scientists believe that a cure is... It's inevitable. The science has moved so much um, during that time that it's just a matter of time and money until it, a cure is found. And we are also we are already seeing therapies that are helpful to people. Um, there was a there was a huge one announced this this year in May that we helped get started,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and the person was. It was called the Brain-Computer Interface. Um, Through an organization in Switzerland that uh, we helped fund, uh, and on the very first day they turned on the the system, the individual stood up and walked. Um, wow! Just uh, it was just incredible. Yeah. So so. And that's um, actually an
0: uh, that's an episode of SpinalCast. We interviewed the two doctors from from that uh, project. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. For anybody watching or listening, uh, make sure that you check out the Dr. Cortine and Dr. Block episode. That is uh, what we are referring to. Um, really, really cool progression in in the SCI research.
1: Yeah, the, it's a re- it's really an exciting thing, and it shows the the impact that we could have. But uh, you know, we continue to push the research forward. And the nice part is, there's scientists all over the world that are. That are working on this now because the the potential is so great. the The second half of your question was the the challenges. Yeah. Um, the challenge is always to make it move faster. hmm So we we are constantly trying to to push research as fast as we can. Um, we constantly have to uh, remind people that this is not an academic exercise that there's there are people out there that are are waiting to for the help that people are that the scientists are working on um, so that's one of our biggest challenges is to just keep pushing and keep accelerating accelerating the research as much as we can we can
0: wonderful well i think that's about all i had on my plate uh as far as questions to ask you um and uh, it actually looks like we're pretty much right on time. Uh, if there's anything else you'd like to mention, I'll give you the floor. Otherwise, uh, we might as well close things out.
1: Uh, sure. Thanks for that opportunity. There's, there's a couple things. First of all, um, as you said, you know, there's a, there's a dark picture at the beginning of, of an injury like this. Um, and for those that are going through it now, um, I want you to know that there are people like myself that have been down that road and I know how hard it is, but I also know that there is hope and there is happiness. Mm -hmm. Um, So at the end of uh, or on the journey, I should say, so I'd encourage people that are just uh, starting on that journey, keep fighting. Keep pushing forward even if it's, you know, taking it one day at a time or even one hour at a time, keep going, because there is there is happiness in your future, even though it might be hard to imagine that right now. Um, the other thing I'd like to add is that for those that maybe are not familiar with MCPF and you know find this to be a compelling cause that you want to get in, involved in, mm-hmm. please join us either... Uh, donate online or uh, donate some of your time as, because I measure we are an all-volunteer organization right now, so um, either of those help a lot. And then, uh, finally, I just want to give a, essentially a shout-out to, to all those that are, have been with MCPF for so many years, supporting us with your your time and resources, of which, of course, David, you are one of those. Um, just, just a big shout out and thank you to all those people that have supported the MCPF along the way. Um, you are making a a big difference, and uh, this thing is going to be solved with with your help. So thank you very much.
0: That was great. And I think you you bring up a great point that there's just so much progress being made right now. It is an incredible cause to to, to support. So I urge everybody who is listening, watching, um, overhearing from another room, uh, just check out mcpf.org. Uh, you'll be amazed with just the progress that's been made in the field of SCI research. And uh, just, it's a, an awesome organization. Like I said, I've been involved since my, my childhood um, and I continue to be proud to support it to this day and, and, you know, partake in, in Spinalcast. So yeah, that's great. Uh, well, one little final sign off here, anybody who's listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, please, uh, you know, think about giving us a like or a follow. Uh, you know, it, it does help uh, us grow our followership. Uh, also, if you're watching us on YouTube, Maybe hit the subscribe button, thumbs up icon, bell icon. That way you get notified when new uh, episodes drop. Uh, but long story short, we are just thankful for everybody who, who supports MCPF's vision and mission. Um, and Peter, thank you again for, for joining us on today's episode.
1: Thank you, David.
0: Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, everybody.